This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Casey, can we get a little sort of, um, you know, generic, like, colonial times music in the background? Perfect. We've got a pitch for you today, folks. Have you ever thought about changing your identity? Have you ever felt that uh, you should break free of the bonds of your previous life and become someone else entirely? That's a question we're addressing today. I'm Ben. My uh, co-host, Noel, is off on adventures. However, we have a very special episode for you today with a very special guest, our returning friend of the show. Thanks for classing up the place yet again, Christopher Hasiotis. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> I, I can't promise I can fill Noel's chair, uh, but I will do my darndest. <laughs> I am incredibly excited about this. We didn't we we've teased your return for some time over the over the previous episode. Great, yeah. S- set expectations. Thank you. Thank we you. Very high. You know, we asked we asked people to write in immediately as soon as they heard your voice, but we didn't tell we didn't tell everyone that you would be coming on for this and uh, maybe some other episodes in the future, but we're quite excited to have you. Thank you so much. I know you've been 
traveling a lot recently, right? Yeah, we've got a lot of really great new shows in the works for the iHeart Podcast Network. So listeners, if you dig Ridiculous History, keep your eyes on your screens uh, and your ears on, I, I don't know, what Ben, you're, you're better at promoting than I am. What do you say? Oh, ear, uh, ears to the wind? E- keep your ears to the wind uh, of the podcast realm. There you go. Oh, keep your uh, eyes peeled, your ears to the ground, right? Because- right, and fingertips at the mercy of your soul. There we go. Sure. I like the gravitas there. Basically, I just want everyone listening to <laughs> scroll through their iPhones or their Samsungs or what have you mm. and subscribe to whatever strikes your fancy. This is just a, a long, ridiculous way of saying, yes, Ben, thank you for having me on. I have been up to a lot lately. Uh, we're putting together a great slate of new shows coming to the network, uh, all centered around food and travel and stories of humanity and how all those things relate to our lives. Um, I will have a lot more information for you and the listeners of Ridiculous History probably in the next month or two about some really, really great shows that they can watch out for um, and uh, hopefully subscribe to and really, really dig. So in the meantime, mm-hmm. I've just got you know time to sit here in a booth with you, which makes me super joyful. Oh, thank you. Uh, Also, of course, we are not diving into ridiculous history alone. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. Give it up for him, folks. Casey, I don't know why I stopped like you were also going to put it in applause queue. But uh, Christopher has uh, just given us a delightful, uh, tantalizing, I would say exclusive teaser, because this is the first time we've talked about some of these projects on air. Yeah, yeah, on this show, yeah, that's right. And so we'll say no more. Uh, you pay for the whole seat. You only need the edge. Check back in in a month or so, and we may have we may have some new news for you. However, uh, Christopher, you noticed at the very top of the show, we set up the concept of changing one's identity. Have mm-hmm. you ever have you ever thought about this? I remember when I was in college, I was at a, a rock and roll club, and someone had taped on the wall of one of the restrooms, you know, over all the terrible band stickers and the graffiti and the cigarette burns and the scars scratched into the wall, someone had taped something that said, reinvent yourself, start a new life. And it was basically not quite an anarchist cookbook, but uh, directions on how to access a manifesto on how to essentially fake your own death and seize a new identity. Mm. And uh, there was just some sort of ne'er-do-well who was going around spreading these pamphlets around rock and roll clubs in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so I don't know how many how many people out there are living under assumed identities. You know, we can't all be Don Draper. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there is anywhere that's prime for reinvention and developing a new persona and, and reinventing yourself, I mean, I think the United States of America is like that's one of the hotbeds for it, right? That's one of the things that we do. We burst forth from the shackles of our, our past. We reinvent ourselves. We set aside our family histories. We invent new family histories. We just present ourselves as we hope to be. And uh, a lot of times people just kind of buy it. That's true. That's so true. Uh, the word of the day I'll introduce here is uh, pseudocide. That's the technical term for faking one's death or Love attempting it. to do so. Uh, and today's episode hinges on, yeah, just as you said it, man, uh, hinges on a fundamentally American idea. We have a somewhat romanticized or idealized 
concept of this of this purposeful reinvention, this resurrection, rebirth by design. But we don't often talk about the real life cases, uh, it, you know, in which these sorts of tropes occur. And today's story is about a person who did just that, uh, who reinvented herself. And that's the sort of thing that normally is, it's praised, right? To mm-hmm. come from humble beginnings, to set yourself up to a life that's that's grander than anything you could have imagined or that your parents could have set out for you. Mm-hmm. Normally, it's a good thing. Is that the case here? Well, let's let's dig into it. How about that? Let, let's let, let's dig into it, and then maybe at the end, you and I can make the call. And fellow listeners, please chime in and let us know what your take is after you hear the entirety of the story, because it's important to hear the entirety of this particular tale. Our story today begins with a woman named Sarah Wilson. She was born in a Staffordshire village in 1754, and she was, I mean, relatively well off, not uh, not super destitute because her father was a professional and he's a bailiff. However, they did have money problems. And the money problems were such that at the age of 16, Sarah is sent away from home and she is sent to London to look for employment. This was not terribly uncommon during this time. No, it's not. She came from humble beginnings. You know, it's this West Midlands region of England. It's not super industrialized. She's looking for more opportunity like many people do. She heads to the big city. There are some suggestions. Maybe she wasn't just looking for money. Maybe she was off to seek her own ideas of fortune and fame and kind of build a name for herself, whatever that might mean. But she does head to London, and within a few weeks, she finds work. She's working as a maid for a woman named Caroline Vernon. And Caroline Vernon was a lady-in-waiting for Queen Charlotte. Now, Queen Charlotte... Queen of England, but born in Germany. Mm -hmm. Spoke German, German accent when she's speaking English. Uh, You know, this is the sort of thing where looking back three, four, five hundred years from especially the vantage point of the United States where royalty is a bit of a novelty, we don't realize how little national borders and family lineage crisscrossed. And Mm -hmm. one may or may not have informed the other. So you have... German nationals who are actually the king of England. You have people from Austria ruling Greece. You have the mix of whatever blend of Austro-Hungarian Habsburg, that situation, <laughs> uh-huh. ruling over bits and pieces of Europe. Um, so it's it's this, it's sort of like a dual layer in Europe. And uh, it's I always like to think that the movies just get it wrong because everyone's speaking with the same accent. Whether it's an accurate accent or not, it's generally somewhat uniform. Mm. Whereas um, – that's maybe not the case then, but I'm, I've fallen down a rabbit hole of just talking about historical specificity. I think it's a great point, though, and you've picked the right show to do this on because it may be difficult for many of us in 2019 and these our modern days to understand that it was normal for the rulers of a country – to be completely foreign in most what we would consider completely foreign in today's terms uh, and being quote unquote qualified for their position entirely due to their ancestry. And that's that's what happens. There's a feedback loop around this time uh, and the centuries preceding it, wherein, you know, if you are a 
a member of a powerful family, you want your children to only marry members of other powerful families. And so things get mixed. I'm not making an inbreeding joke. I'm just saying that's how the thrones end up being uh, collected and consolidated and passed around. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I will say that that this discussion of languages and accents does come into play a little later on in Sarah Wilson's story. Ooh, yes. Nice foreshadowing. Yes. Okay, so Sarah quickly ingratiates herself. She is a uh, a people person, a, a slick talker at this point. Uh, she is playing the role of the perfect maid as far as lady-in-waiting Caroline Vernon is concerned. Yeah, and she's working at the Queen's House, which if you or I were to go to London or any of the listeners wanted to go to London and go check out the Queen's House – you can't find it because what's now there is Buckingham Palace. A little larger, a little more grand, <laughs> but uh, that original Queen's House. The, but that's the region of London we're talking about. It's still, you know, the, the seat of royal power. Right. Quite prestigious, yes. And at the Queen's House, where, as you said, Christopher Buckingham Palace uh, now stands, Sarah frequently saw the actual queen, the wife of King George III, and she quickly, in addition to ingratiating herself with uh, the upper crust of this of, of this community, she also familiarized herself intimately with the scuttlebutt, the gossip, the things that only the maids and the butlers and what Downton Abbey would call the downstairs people were aware of. And this got to her. You know what I mean? Because we know we know how human psychology works. It has not changed for many thousands of years. Uh, happiness is often defined in comparative terms. So she is she is smart. She's quick witted. She has escaped her small town and done more than many people in her town would have done. But then she looks around and she sees you know this opulence and these lives of leisure, and she says, "I'm paraphrasing here. Why not me?" Where they got that I ain't got. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I want to get me some of that. <laughs> right. That's that's a quote. That's you. Exactly. That. I think I, that was a, on some plaque somewhere in some dusty tome. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the thing. So Sarah Wilson, being around royalty, knowing royalty, knowing the comings and goings of royalty, that wasn't enough for her. She wanted to get a piece of the action, have a slice for herself, carve out a little nook in that world. Uh, or maybe she just wanted the things that she knew she would never, ever have on her own. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is such a stratified culture at the time. It, it it still is in many ways. But when you come from completely humble backgrounds and you are spending your day around someone who is wearing, let's say, a ring or a crown or today a pair of sneakers or, a, mm-hmm. you know, you drive a car that is essentially – worth what your family could make in a decade. Mm-hmm. And this is just a trinket to this person. That wealth imbalance creates tension, and most people in the world can handle that. Some people can't, and Sarah Wilson was one of those people. So there was a night when she was by herself in the in the queen's room. She snuck into a closet, breaks into this cabinet, and she takes some jewelry, uh, some dresses, a ring, and a little miniature portrait of, of Queen Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we don't have an image of what it looks like, but I imagine it's one of those little sort of um, cameo portraits mm-hmm. and maybe a little silhouette. Um, just something that would be a keepsake, something that a family member 
of Queen Charlotte would keep and would, uh, you know, would refer to to lovingly remember their relative. Mm-hmm. So she takes all these things for herself. Yeah, and she thinks it's no big deal. No one's going to find out. For Pete's sake, this is the Queen of England. Right. She's got countless dresses, countless rings, scads uh, of jewelry. Yeah. But the thing is, they they were not countless. They were they were counted, <laughs> counted frequently, uh, as is the case with sometimes people of immense wealth. They also are um, immensely focused on the things that make them wealthy. And so Queen Charlotte was no different. She kept fastidious inventory of her inventory. She knew what she had, and she knew when something was missing. So very, very, very soon after Sarah took these items, they're noticed missing. So the queen says, all right, we don't know who did this. I need someone to keep an eye on it. I thought that was quite clever, too. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to just go off and start accusing people willy-nilly. That might fly with some royals, mm-hmm. not Queen Charlotte. Not Queen Charlotte, no. She sets up a uh, surveillance operation. And think about how many servants must exist in a royal household. So there's clearly going to be um, several factions, and there's also going to be some servants that she uh, trusts completely, and then some that are, you know, still a little green, and then some that she doesn't really interact with. So we can only imagine that she goes to one of the servants she legitimately trusts, some, someone or some people uh, with whom she spent years and years, right? And she asked these people to watch not just the room, but this particular closet. And this is where Sarah Wilson makes her first error. Yeah, I mean, the criminal returning to the scene of the crime, it's a trope in crime fiction, but that's because it happens. That's human nature. You, you know, maybe your prime criminal would go for the big score and then never touch that room again, never go back. But Sarah was not a professional criminal. She knew she got away with something once, so she went back to the well again, mm-hmm. or in this case, the cabinet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but this time, you know, that that law and order style stakeout, whatever was going on, it worked. And Sarah Wilson was caught in the act of trying to rob Queen Charlotte once again. So this is very, very, very bad news. The way the laws work at the time, uh, Sarah Wilson is charged with theft and violation of the royal privacy. And that's serious. That is serious, yeah. That is serious. How how serious? More so than than theft. Uh, Violation of the royal privacy uh, carries with it the death sentence. Oh, that's serious. Yes. So she receives the death sentence and her original employer, Lady in Waiting Vernon, has not given up on her. That's Caroline Vernon, right? Yes, that is Lady Lady in Waiting, Caroline Mm -hmm. Vernon. Uh, And Caroline takes it upon herself to personally plea to Queen Charlotte, please spare Sarah. Like she's made a mistake, but she mm -hmm. maybe is a good girl. She comes from a Good background. She's I, mm. I like her. And she's so young. Right. She's what? How, how young? Six, uh, 16, six, 17 yeah. at this age. So her pleas work somewhat. And her punishment, the death sentence, is commuted to what they called transportation. That sounds nice. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, so she was just on subways. Yeah. So where where'd they transport her? They transported her. Transportation, we should say, it was a... a 
didn't mean the same thing it means today. Uh, transportation was forcible exile. Oh. It's deportation gotcha. would be the closest analog we have today, right? So uh, in July of 1771, she is placed on a prison ship and sent to Baltimore, Maryland. It's a long transportation. <laughs> it's a long ride. It is long. You wouldn't want to foot the Uber bill for that. Uh, however, things get worse. Because when she arrives in the what would become the United States, so this is it's 1771. Mm-hmm. We're five years before, right? Everything kind of comes together. Still um, just colonies, just colonies. Yep, and she is not put in prison. She is not given um, some sort of state level employment or colonial level employment. She is put up for auction Ooh. and sold. As a slave. So she can't just kind of do her own thing in the United States or in what would become the United States. She's just in Maryland, transported there against her will, although maybe willingly because otherwise the other option is to be put to death. Mm-hmm. But then she's just in servitude. Yeah. that's that. It's looking grim for Sarah at this point. Uh, she is sold to a fellow named W. Duvall. He is a planter from Bush Creek, Frederick County, do you know what, what she was doing for Mr. Duvall? I have not seen too much detail about that. That makes sense, though, because I think she she wasn't with him for long. Right, right, right. She wasn't with him for long. Uh, and at this case, you know, it's, it's an unpleasant thing to imagine, but uh, physical abuse was prevalent with people who were enslaved in this manner, slavery in general. So while we do not have confirmed records of what happened during her time there. We know that she did not spend very long there at all. As you said, Christopher, she sought to improve her situation almost immediately, right? She escapes to Virginia, lickety-split, and she doesn't just go with the clothes on her back. This is the weirdest part of this story. Yeah, I, I this, this is the sort of thing where our lack of a time machine is just really a bummer because I, I want to know the details of how this exactly happened. When she escapes, she still has in her possession, which means she brought over with her on her transportation from Britain. She still had one of the rings she stole. Mm-hmm. She still had some dresses. Mm-hmm. And she still had that miniature portrait of Queen Charlotte. Which how? How how do you have that? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I we like to think that Systems of power are in place and everyone does everything perfectly. But as anyone who has ever dealt with, let's say, um, the police or the local county clerk or the uh, tax DMV, collector. Who, yeah. yeah. Sometimes people who are supposed to be doing their jobs, um, you know, they check the wrong box. Uh, <laughs> they forget a comma. And then when you go back to renew, they say, wait, you're not even in our system. And you say, but, but I was in your system. You, the, I had a hyphen in my name and you took it out and they don't know what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden you say, I had a thing of Queen Charlotte and where is her? And no, I promise this dress is mine. And I think that's probably how it happened. And the romantic in me, you know, the fan of fiction at least, has this, this cinematic moment stuck in my head, which almost certainly didn't happen, wherein the queen says, and take these garments with you. Take them hence, they are soiled. You know <laughs> what been, I mean? They've been touched by the poor. Yeah, they've been, yes, they've been touched by the poor, which should also be a crime. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. 
This is important stuff. Your team can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So at this point, though, we, although we're going to be with her for the rest of this story, we kind of say goodbye to Sarah Wilson. We do. We say goodbye to Sarah Wilson, and we say hello to Princess Susanna Caroline Matilda, sister of Queen Charlotte. Forced into exile in the colonies following a very enigmatic family scandal. Oh, you don't want to talk about it. It's, 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 too, it's too hard. It's, it's impolite. No, it's, it's royalty. It's mm-hmm. not the sort of thing you bring up at a polite 
dinner conversation mm-hmm. in Virginia when you are a princess. Mm-hmm. When you are a princess. And, uh-huh. and also, it would be violating the privacy of the royal family. And who would want to do that? That's a crime. That's terrible. <laughs> so this is this is strange. First off, the Hutzpah alone, you know, congratulations to Princess Susanna Caroline Matilda. This is the kind of con that is difficult to pull off. However, she has several powerful things working to her advantage. First, as you mentioned, Christopher, she has all the stuff. Probably the most powerful or most impactful of the material possession she has for her new identity will be that miniature portrait because of the sentimental value you mentioned earlier. But also, and equally as important here, she has intimate knowledge of life in the royal court. Yeah, she's on the other side of an ocean, but she can still talk to people about the goings-on at the queen's house, who's speaking with whom and who's falling out with whom and how things are going upstairs and downstairs. And, you know, she's she's presenting herself as Susanna Caroline Matilda, which I should also add, of Mecklenburg Strelitz. Oh, yes, yes. Very important. Yeah. The Mecklenburg Strelitz is a, a, a Northern German dynasty sort of who, you know, uh, Queen Charlotte was part of that family and they've had um, their bloodline influencing royalty throughout Europe. But as the former Sarah Wilson is presenting herself as uh, as Susanna Caroline Matilda, princess, you know, she, she really harnesses, I think, a bit of nostalgia for Ooh. what's going on back to uh, because again, a lot of the people living in the United States or what would become the United States still think of themselves as British subjects, as as you know, not as American citizens. To them, the stories of the Queen, stories of the King, stories of what's happening in London, those to them are stories from home. Mm-hmm. And so there is that nostalgia and that that yearning, and apparently. Princess Susanna really had an easier in with with some of the older generation in Virginia, the ones who still thought of themselves as, as British, as English. And, um, you know, she could tell them what was going on and, and kind of let them relive their – and maybe they, it's been decades since they were back home. Mm-hmm. And there's also this uh, there's also this interesting mechanism that could occur whenever you're working with nostalgia, which is she could mention a name or a title – that these people, especially the old guard, would have been familiar with and then let them fill in the blanks based on the the scant information she actually had. And when she does that, they would feel that they were learning something new, but just as importantly, they would feel that they were displaying their knowledge and therefore they were still uh, people with their, what do we say, with their uh, ear to the wind, their eyes peeled, their feet. Uh, let's see there. Yeah, uh, toenails to the grindstone, something like that. Sure. Yes, their fi- their fingers are the toenails on the pulse, so they would still feel relevant having this knowledge. Uh, we can also, I think, reasonably assume that even for the people who were not the older generation, there was tremendous social cachet to be had in hosting not just a member of English aristocracy, but uh, the sibling of the queen. And, you know, already, again, 1771, 1772, as you said, we're just a few years out from the Revolutionary War, as we call it in this country. And 
this also plays into displays of loyalism. Well, that's the thing. So, you know, Princess Susanna is telling people she's been sent to the colonies because of some falling out back home. She can't get into the details, Mm -hmm. but she will soon be restored to her rightful position back home. Ah, yes. And that's, you know, so she's at these dinner parties, at these salons, at these social events, mingling, whining, and dining. And so people are eager to really buy into the story because if she's telling the truth, even if there's doubt in their minds, if she's telling the truth, they are now socially connected to a princess. So if she's restored to power, let's say they need a favor. Let's say they have a son who needs a high-paying position at a company. Let's say they need some land grants. Let's say they need to, uh, gosh, I don't know, raise an army for whatever they want to do. Whatever that might be. Yeah, you know. Old rich people, they got things armies can do. That is absolutely true. There is a third advantage that this uh, this part of American or colonial society sees, and that's, you know, I can pay you, princess, since we are such very good friends, the, the typical, let's call it an administrative fee, not a bribe, but the typical administrative fee that uh, would be expected in order to have myself or a relation of mine uh, granted a position, maybe on the court, maybe associated with it uh, somehow with some government organ or body uh, as soon as you return, and we know that will be soon. So they saw this as an investment in many ways. They were they they were actually giving. This is where the con part comes in. They were actually giving Princess Susanna. Uh, currency. They were, yeah, they they were, were giving, giving her money. Ca- cash money. Yes, yes. Cash money. Yes, they were. It speaks just as strongly 300 years ago as it does today. Um, but also gifts. Uh, you know, I imagine places to stay, mm-hmm. access to carriages, uh, you know, a nice a nice bedroom for a week. or Wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Um, here, have a horse. Yeah. Why not? We've all been in that situation. Here, do you, look. Take this horse. This one? (laughs) For me? Whichever one you want. I'm not even a princess. Whichever one you want. But then you make me feel like one. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Christopher. I learned it all from Casey Pegram. Uh, But you know what, though? These sorts of shenanigans are increasingly difficult to pull off over time. Over time. And so she went all over the colonies. This wasn't Mm -hmm. just Virginia. This wasn't just Maryland. She was in Georgia. She was in the Carolinas. She met the governor of North Carolina. I mean, this is like high-level high level stuff. She has access. But people have some questions. That's right. And they want to be very careful with the uh, manner in which they pose these questions. To someone like Princess Susanna Carolina Matilda, sister to the queen, family of Mecklenburg Strelitz. Nailed it. Not only, but she had a couple other aliases too. She also went by the Marchioness de Waldegrave. Mm-hmm. She was also known as the Princess of Cronenberg. No association with the director. That we know of. That we know of. Yes, it's very fair. The, yeah, she would use these names uh, on different occasions, and she would, as you said, travel widely. She was meeting tremendously influential people, and folks were starting to ask questions because in these circles, there would be people who speak German. Yeah, and if she was supposedly from Germany— Raised in Germany. Yeah. um, How come you don't speak German? (laughs) Right. She refused to, perhaps because of the quarrel. Yeah, or she was in the new new world speaking a new language. Um, But even then, she spoke 
perfect English. Flawless English, yeah. You know why? Because she was English. Oh. Yeah. That's a real Kaiser Soze moment for me. Yeah. But yeah, people people were saying, well, that's weird because I have been speaking English for decades and decades and decades. I grew up speaking German and I still have a little bit of an accent. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So why is she flawless with it? And then there was another question <laughs> that seems very obvious to us in retrospect. Well, it, that's it's the one where everyone thinks, wait a minute, does Queen Charlotte have a sister? <laughs> Right. Why haven't I heard of her? Maybe maybe she's able to turn it around and, and really play on people's insecurities and say, maybe I wasn't important enough to know about the Queen's sister. Ooh, yeah. Or um, maybe you're not, yeah, maybe you're not as plugged in as you want other people at this dinner party to believe. And so people probably for some time, that strategy is effective and people are uh, reticent to voice their concerns because they don't want to seem to be the odd person out. Might I also suggest that um, maybe men act a little dumb in the presence of someone who might be a princess? I think that is an excellent suggestion. Uh, Having not to my knowledge at this point in life interacted with a princess, I I can't speak from experience, but I feel like that is I feel like that is unfortunately a very astute observation. Men can be dumb. <laughs> no way. That's true. Uh, so you're right, though. That's a that's a good point. That's one that a lot of historians don't talk about. Well, but, it's it's not necessarily brought up. It's not like all these people who are giving her gifts are described as as suitors, mm-hmm. particularly. But knowing men, knowing that sort of patriarchal society that was in place at the time. I have to imagine that some of these people who are wealthy landowners in the colonies meeting a single young princess, Uh plying her with gifts, might have some motives of marrying into royalty or other motives. Yeah, absolutely. And and men will do dumb things. Yes. When they have those motives. Absolutely. I mean, I would say people in general, but in this situation, it's only fair to note that that trend – toward thick-headedness is is probably accelerated in men. Uh, But the scam didn't hold. The scam did not hold because speaking of men, we have to reintroduce a character that briefly appeared earlier in the tale, uh, Mr. W. Duvall, who it turns out is not happy about uh, Sarah Wilson, as he knew her. And maybe not that dumb of a man because eventually after a couple years pass, he hears a description of this princess. Mm -hmm. He hears talk and he probably says, oh, that, wow, uh, a princess in the colonies, that's interesting. What does she look like? And they say, this is what she looks like. And he says, I know someone who looks like that. Yes. And it's Sarah Wilson. And he has been trying to find this the one that got away literally so it is autumn of 1773 remember she's been on the run since 1771 ish uh and he, and he's he's been looking for her actually yeah. since 1771 i have i have here in front of me from the pennsylvania gazette published on october 11th 1771 an advertisement mm. for a runaway slave and uh this this is what william Duvall wrote in the newspaper back in 1771. He took out an ad. Run away from the subscriber, a convict servant maid named Sarah Wilson, but has changed name to Lady Susanna Carolina Matilda, which has made the public believe that she was his majesty's sister. And here's where we get into the uh, realizing what she looked like. She has a blemish in her right eye, black rolled hair, stoops in the shoulders, 
makes a common practice of writing and marked her clothes with a crown and a bee. Whosoever secures the said servant woman or takes her home shall receive five pistols besides all costs and charges. So if you find Sarah Wilson, all your expenses are paid mm-hmm. and you get five pistols. What a deal. Five pistols. And I, I should say, I'm going to applaud myself for reading that because this is an old-timey advertisement from an old-timey newspaper. And it's got those medial S's. Which are such a pain. They look like an F. They do look an like F an F. without the crossbar. Um, they go all the way back to old English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that they're gone now. You know, the thank, thank you, movable type. <laughs> we don't need all those weird-looking S's that make everything sound like an act of Congress. <laughs> an act of Congress, yes. Yeah, it's true. Those are a pain. And, and I applaud your recital there, Christopher. I applaud Casey for cutting out all of my flubs. Slubs, 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 slubs. No, slubs. Well, that's the thing. You use slub, a curvy flub. S at the end, and uh-huh. a, but not at the beginning. So if it looks like an, the word flub mm-hmm. is flub, but the word flubs would to us look like flubs. And we can only hope that old man Willie D was going through the the same process as he was writing this advertisement. So um, I really, really hope at some point there's some sort of merchandise out there that people can have a bumper sticker or a uh, <laughs> a little go. a little pin or some just gaudy T-shirt they can wear that says, you know, I am a proud, ridiculous Hiftorian. <laughs> That's great. Casey, do you like that one? I love that idea. Hiftorians, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Medial S's for everyone. Casey on the case. We'll put it to a vote, too. Let us know what you think about these. What are they called? Medial S's? Uh, a medial S, yeah. It's it's also known as a long S because a short S is the short round one or curvy or, you know, just an S, as we would, <laughs> as we would say. I like the uh, I like the depths of resentment that are that are emanating uh, across the table. Hey, Matt, here. you didn't have to read this, so uh, <laughs> I might. I, we do have another bit of old timey newspaper right here. I may pass it to you and uh, and oh, no. put you to the theft. <laughs> oh no, we've created a monster, but it's monster. Mon- uh, mon- oh, monster. Uh, monf- monster. No, monster. Monster. That's fun to say, actually. I think we should get back on track. So they're on the hunt. Yeah, the word is out. And in addition to publicizing this advertisement and appeal and offering this reward, he sends, he being uh, Willie, sends one of his employees, a man named Michael Dalton, to retrieve Sarah. Dalton has, uh, you know, he has... A certain set of skills, Liam Neeson style, we can only assume, because he does eventually track the princess down to a plantation in Charleston right after she left. So he is hot on her wake, hot on her trail, and then he doesn't give up. He follows the clues, Carmen San Diego style, and he finds her at a neighboring plantation. He captures her. He takes her back to that estate in Bush Creek, Frederick County. And that's in Virginia. Yes. Yeah, that's in Virginia. Is that the end of the story? She just gets captured and she goes right back into servitude? Yeah. Sometimes things just end. I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Okay. I was, <laughs> I mean, it's I was ready to go home on this pony. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you still have to take some uh, time to name the pony before before you ride it out. And I would I would advise something heavy on the F's and the S's. But this is not the end of the story, is it, Christopher? You know, it's not. Uh, there's 
there's more scamming ahead, uh, as as may not be so surprising with Miss Sarah Wilson. So Sarah is on the plantation. She's working. At this point, it's 1775, though. Mm-hmm. But Duvall's not at home because he has left the plantation to fight in the militia for the American War of Independence. Yes, which we now know as the Revolutionary War. And while he is gone, a very, very strange coincidence occurs. This is the kind of thing you can't write in fiction because no one will believe you. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> this seems like a really unsatisfying end to things because it's just so improbable. Mm-hmm. But according to the historical record, this is what happened. Another either enslaved person or servant girl, also by the name of Sarah Wilson, crosses paths with Sarah Wilson that, that you and I and the listeners know. And this is very vague. We want to we want to let all of our fellow listeners know we are very well aware that this is incredibly vague. Somehow, our Sarah Wilson, the former princess, is able to switch, I guess, bodies or make make people confuse the new Sarah Wilson for her. And then during this confusion, while her owner is away, while this creep Duvall is away, she escapes, and this time she heads north. Yeah, the the southward direction did not work out so well for her in the past when she was a princess. So she splits, she goes north, she leaves Sarah Wilson II in place of Sarah Wilson I. Too bad for Sarah Wilson II, I guess. We yeah. like This is the end of her story. Although maybe she was already going to be on that plantation anyway, and uh, Sarah one was like, oh no, no, that's Sarah Wilson over there. <laughs> I, are you looking for Sarah Wilson? That's Sarah Wilson. Hey, are you named Sarah Wilson? And she says, yeah, that's me. And then she's like, well, I'm just going to walk away as you guys go talk to her. <laughs> and, um, you know, there, there's just a lot of this, like, convincing people and and mm-hmm. gift of gab. You know, you've got to really be a smooth talker. Um, this reminds me of the story a little bit of that, that bridge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tabor Bridge, right? The two French marshals who decided to con their way across the Danube. Yeah, you you and Noel had a really great episode about this. And, uh, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, Ridiculous Historians. If you have not listened to that episode, go dig it up. Uh, I mean, we kind of just gave you the surprise ending, but <laughs> it's still a great story regardless. There's all sorts of weird boasting and French chest puffery and, uh, yes. you know, almost bombings and Hungarian confusion, and uh, which, by the way, really good band name, I think. Hungarian confusion. Yeah. That is an excellent band name, my friend. Yeah. I'm, hang on. Sorry, everybody listening. I'm going to write that down. Okay. I can't Ben's fi- actually just filing for an LLC right now for himself. <laughs> yes. Hungarian Revolution. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. 
It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated, experienced drivers, and you receive those real-time notifications, as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents, plus you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. But Sarah Wilson, she is not confused about what she's doing. Mm -mm. She heads out of Virginia, goes north, and uh, at least for the foreseeable future, lives a somewhat normal life, still has a lot of her money, which she, again, like, where... Where is she putting Where all does this the stuff? money go? Where does yeah. she keep it? Are there secret bank accounts? Does she have secret pockets? Has she literally buried boxes of coin? Maybe she has just like a lot of hair. Yeah. Like just like a huge head of hair. And there's just like envelopes of money in there. Mm-hmm. Could be. I mean, at the time, it may have been a sound investment. Perhaps, yeah, or, or, you know, some money sewn into the lining of a coat or something like that. Anyway, she's got all this money, and mm -hmm. she ends up all the way up in New York. Uh, She actually meets a young military man named William Talbot. Or alternatively, Sterling. Oh, is that right? Well, sometimes it differs. It depends on the source. But, yeah, she meets this. She meets a nice young man. Mm Mm-hmm. And he is a military man. He's an officer in the Light Dragoons. 
And the war transpires, spoiler alert, this part of the North American continent becomes a country we call the United States today. Heard of it. Okay, yeah, you're familiar with its work. Uh, and the couple decides to stay in this new country. What pro- are they doing? Probably, they're, they're avoiding arrest for Sarah yeah, if that she makes returns sense. to England. But they also, she uses her money. Maybe, maybe she did this. Maybe she kept jewelry and then sold the jewelry. Uh-huh. That might have happened. But she uses this money that she has acquired to set up her husband as a businessman. And they live, as far as we can tell from the record, they live uh, happily ever after. Uh, they have a lot of kids. And they set up their residence in the Bowery in New York, which at the time was a quiet, nice neighborhood. Hmm. Kind of a happy ending for her. It is, especially when you consider how close she came to very, very terrible things. I don't know. It also reminds me, in a way, you remember that Disney film Pinocchio, right? I do. So as a kid, I thought Pinocchio was really cool until one of my friends later on, years and years later, uh, pointed out to me that Pinocchio has this horrible lesson for children in terms of morality. Tell me about it. Well, uh, I'll keep it brief. But Pinocchio, uh, from his beginning, is told to do the following kind of things or not do these things so that he can ultimately become self-actualized and be a real boy. He breaks all of those rules or those commandments or whatever. And then at the end, he gets the reward anyway. That's true. So did Sarah Wilson have a moment. We we can tell, one thing we can tell that differentiates her from other con artists is that when she got to a good spot, she stopped. There are other con artists who just can't give up the game. Well, th- there was a point though, you know, and, and this is where I'd like more detail about her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, this to me seems ripe for some Hollywood tale. And I'd love to see this turn into a film and, and, really dig into the story. But there was a time before she met her husband after she escaped Virginia. Oh, yes. Where she she had this little side escapade. And there's not a lot that I could dig up about this. But she she teamed up with this um, with this criminal who was known by the alias of Tom Bell. He was, uh, he was an Irishman, mm-hmm. um, also known as Patrick O'Connor. But they, they kind of worked together for a while. And he introduced himself to people as Mr. Edward Augustus Montague, a gentleman of fortune and betrothed lover of Princess Susanna Carolina Matilda. Yeah. So I, I maybe, maybe the princess came back after her her flight from Virginia and before she settles in New York. Maybe there's this this sort of interim of her flirting again with this world of of intrigue and and all the scams. Yeah. And I don't know much about it. We uh, we don't know. Like, uh, we as a species don't know much about this part of her life, which makes it by far one of the most intriguing and fascinating. We don't know much about Patrick O'Connor nor his alias Tom Bell, but we do know they they did. For for a brief time, she did go into a, a two-person con act. And who knows? Maybe they really were betrothed. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, he, he was a fairly well-known criminal at the time. I mean, this could be the sort of thing where maybe they pulled off one last heist and she got out of the life. It's a sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, like a like a Danny Ocean kind of situation where she teams up with this acclaimed crime guy. She gets what she needs and, um, you know, she has her happily ever after. You also have to wonder, 
whether the man who ultimately became her husband uh, knew about her stint as a princess. Knew did she tell him her true 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 story, or did she say like maybe I'm an orphan and this is my family fortune? Yeah. I love you. I don't want to talk about my past. Let's start a new life together in the Bowery. And then maybe he just went uh, head over heels, Christopher. Maybe he was just like, well, I'm in love. And being a dude, I'm kind of dumb. And I do need some money. <laughs> and, I do, and I do need some, as you said, cash money. Um, oh, speaking yeah. of cash money, Ben, this, yes. uh, I, I thought this might be a good way to wrap up because mm. I – this is a little off topic, but it's related to some some royalty and some cash money. I wanted to get your opinion and um, Ridiculous Historians, if you have any advice for me. I got this email from a Nigerian prince. Oh, okay. Do tell. And he's asking for some money. Okay. Should I help him out? Um, how much money is he asking for? Oh, more than I've got. Oh, okay. Uh, then without having a doctorate in finance – I would advise you, depending on how much – well, first, how much time do you have? <laughs> I don't have enough time. Uh, and <laughs> I, I'll, uh, spoiler alert, yes. I'm not giving this guy any money. But that's the, but the thing is, you know, we're talking about this weird scam of someone putting themselves forth as royalty. And it, mm -hmm. it sounds like the sort of thing like, oh, this is just a thing that, you know, those historical rubes back in the day fell for. It's going on still. Um, I I – in preparing to come chat with you guys here, I did a little digging, and there was a report uh, last year from the Security Services ADT. In 2018 alone, people in the United States fell prey to the Nigerian scams and other sort of email uh, uh, scams like that where people are just asking for money to the tune of more than $700,000 last year alone. Um, and it averaged out to about $2,100 per person. Wow. So this this scam of royalty, this desire to buy into a story, this ability to be hoodwinked, um, you know, I think it's just baked into humanity. It's just who we are. Yeah. We want to believe. We want to help. Um, and if someone says they're a prince or a princess, hey, why not? Wow, and it gets our, our, our inner fox molder, huh? I want to believe. It, what I was going to advise you to do, off the record again, not being a doctorate, just between you, Casey, me, and the millions of us listening. Yeah, you're, you're not recording this, Casey, right? Right, this is all off the record. Perfect, so, perfect, yeah. Uh, just I don't want this out in the world. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> I've read uh, accounts of people who essentially scammed the scammers which is on the murky side of unethical pranking. What are you talking? That that is fighting the good fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea is, you know, they'll say stuff like, uh, "Sure, you've contacted me. I do have this money. I will give you this information. But first, I want to know. Uh, first, you need to prove something in good faith or whatever. And I've found situations wherein someone convinced the scammer or someone who knows the scammer to get a tattoo or to uh, write essays about Harry Potter and, and things of that nature. So if you have the time and the inclination and you don't feel uh, particularly guilty about trolling people who are trying to steal from you, then yeah. – then I would advise to find. I would advise you find the funniest prank to pull. We'll check back in. We'll check back in, and perhaps Christopher, one day you will be known too as as a genius of the con, because one of the 
most American things about uh, about the way we treat con artists here in the U.S. is that they are often begrudgingly admired. You know what I mean? The idea of this this um, slick talking, uh, clever individual violating social norms and getting away with it it's it's imprinted into our dna and that's why the providence rhode island gazette and country journal in january of 1774 noted that sarah wilson is quote the most surprising genius of the female sex that was ever obliged to visit america let's just walk past that blatant you know misogyny there They're basically saying smart for a woman because they're being jerks. But what they're also doing, and what I think is more important for our purposes here, is they are praising the intelligence of this person. They're saying this is one of the smartest people in this country. Too bad they're not a politician or, you know, a philanthropist. Can't win them all. Can't win them all. Uh, But uh, I feel like this was a big win for Casey, uh, Noel, and Spirit and I to have you over on the show. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. We want to hear from you. Let us know uh, some of your favorite historical cons other than the Trojan horse. Other than that one, you know, that's, that's sort of like going to karaoke and playing Don't Stop Believing. And and whatever we want to call this con of you somehow being convinced to let me sit in here and chat with you guys. <laughs> feel like I've scammed everyone. Hey, yeah, that's a hey, that's a good question. Is your name Christopher? Isn't it? I don't know, Casey, I believe him. He's just got such a such an amicable air about him, you know? No comment. All right, just just call me princess. Oh, wow. You guys are in on this together. Well, here's hoping that I don't get scammed out of millions of dollars. But if I do, I'm glad it was from you too. Uh, thank you, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thank you to Alex Williams, who composed our track. Thank you to Gabe, our research associate. Christopher, we often thank you on this show. So it's a little strange that you're here now. I'm really glad to thank you in person. Thanks for coming on, man. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Ben. And thanks for having me, Ridiculous Historians. And stay tuned for our next episode, wherein Christopher and I will explore not a um, not a con. No, things are going to get a little uh, grimier. Mm. Grimmer. 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 Just a little dark. A little gross. But fun. Still ridiculous. Stay tuned. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. 
Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.